hello, hello, and welcome back to Gateway to Anime. How are you all? What's going on? Charlie, what's up? Hi, I'm here, here to talk about some pretty exciting stuff. It's going to be cool. We've got one of my favorite guests on today. So, Gerald, hello. How oh, are you? Making me blush so that everyone at home can see. Good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. Gerald, so good to have you. First time in the new studio. That's right. Fancy. You guys leveled up. We have. We have. We're very happy with it. Uh, so I've realized this is your fifth time on here with us. Yeah, right. Is it five? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had Neon Genesis, Cowboy Bebop, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, uh, Dark Fantasy, and now number five right here. Okay, wow. Wow, I've forgotten like most of those Yeah, episodes. me too. I was like, did we do Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? I was <laughs> like, sure let's did. talk about that. <laughs> there's, <laughs> always, there's always one sibling that remembers like your collective lives better than the other is... Sam. Oh, 100%. I am the sibling that can't remember anything about my life and uh, recently reconnected or like met up with my brother and yeah, terrifying the amount of, uh, of things that he can just recollect about our lives. So <laughs> if you had asked me, I would have said I'd been on here three times. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I would have said the same thing. <laughs> well, it's very exciting. So today we're going to talk about the two unrecognized, undisputed kings. Now, there's a few little in-jokes all up in there. So for those of you who've been with us since the start, you might know that I have a propensity to proclaim things a lot. And one of my proclamations is that something is the undisputed king of X or Y or whatever it happens to be. Now, also for those of you who've been with us since the start, particularly back in season one, season two, Charlie used to talk a lot about her, one of her favorite or seminal shows, I suppose, one of the shows that really brought you into anime as a genre, right? And like sort of yeah. changed your mind on what it, what the genre can do, yeah? Yeah, just totally was the first thing I watched that wasn't, you know, a battle shonen that yeah. took my attention as much. And I was like, oh, there's more genres out there. It's a wide world. And it shaped my viewing to this day. But Sam, also you really undersold that. You make wild proclamations about everything being the undisputed king. So if we were to actually have an <laughs> undisputed king off, <laughs> Like we should, we should do that. We should watch one all day. the things that you've said are the undisputed kings, and then make you pick one. Oof, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. That's, that's gonna be a lot. That's gonna be a lot, man. <laughs> look, look forward to that episode. But no, so basically, Charlotte has her, I suppose, one of her undisputed kings or queen uh, in Fruits Basket, which she's talked about a lot since day one. I haven't talked about it as much recently on the more later podcasts, but you certainly used to bring it up a lot in the early days, and I. Funnily enough, now, obviously, you'd be like, Sam, you're surely Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, you know, and that's fair. That's that's probably super accurate. It's fair because you've said it's the Undisputed King. Yeah, and also- <laughs> for a while I was saying Attack on Titan until the ending, uh, which is a damn shame, but that's a podcast for another time because at the time of this recording, that show hasn't ended yet. And Well, obviously the manga has, but of course we'll talk about that when the anime comes to an end because I believe me, there will be discourse, not just from us, but from the whole community. But that's for another time. Enough from so- me because no. I've elected just not to watch the ending. And uh, it'll always be glorious in my mind. Exactly. So. Left it off at a glorious time. Oh, God, it's going to be so interesting. Anyway, but th- those of you who probably been listening to the more later episodes of this podcast might have picked up that I really like a show called Legend of the Galactic Heroes. In fact, I think it's so good that I have proclaimed it one of my... It sounds like I've diluted the, the phrase now, which is a damn shame, but it is quite possibly the undisputed king of anime for me. Now, Gerald here is a very uh, diligent watcher of things and a writer, professional writer, and of course, longtime collaborator and for many things, not just this podcast. And But Gerald actually took up recommendations and went and watched them. 
So he's watched both of these shows, yes. two shows that probably couldn't have been more different if they tried. <laughs> like I totally, everything about them is very well, different. Here's, here's what I'd say about that. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Because as you like waltz through anime fandom, every now and then you made a Charlie and every now and then you made a Sam. <laughs> and then every, and you know, they're two very distinct archetypes in the fandom. And every now and then you meet a third type, a chosen one, if you will, who uh, <laughs> who is just the the consumer of all. And so one of the great boons of my life is that I am a Sam and a Charlie. So I get Ooh. Sam telling me to watch X and I get Charlie telling me to watch Y and I watch all of it and it's great. This is true. The chosen one. <laughs> the this watcher. Is, this is your anime. It's about Not my being... words, but my words. I love it. <laughs> so Jerry here. We're going to talk a little bit about Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Now, if you go back and listen to our sci-fi episode, you'll hear me talk about this show. But at that point, I'd only watched 25-odd episodes, which I'd watched in preparation to do that episode. And really, I think, if anything, I undersold it. And It's only been in subsequent episodes that I've actually talked about the show itself and how much I really loved it after you watched, after you consumed the whole thing, 110 episodes. There's also a 52-episode prequel series. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a remake right now. There's a whole bunch of things going on. But I believe it to be one of the greatest pieces of fiction ever made. I'm dead serious about this. Now, Gerald, I'm going to throw to you. What did you think of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Gerald? So first of all, thank you for recommending it because I think I am like big picture right up there with you. I was staggered by it. And it's one of those ones that you read about as being kind of, you might not have heard about this, but it's actually quite excellent. I was just walking around when people would ask me, like, what have you been watching? People that had no interest in anime, like film industry people. And I would just go at them for like half an hour about this space opera from <laughs> the yes! 80s that had like absolutely blown my socks off. Now, the qualifier is that I did watch it while I was out with COVID. Yes. And 110 episodes is a lot of episodes. It is. And I'm not sure outside of that context, whether I would have like watched it in that concentrated next, next, next way that I did. But I'm so glad that the planets aligned because I too am extremely excited to to talk to you about this show. Why do you tell us what it's about? So Legends of the Galactic Heroes is based on a novel series by Yoshiki Tanaka and is about a humanity in a far-flung future that has been at war with two different versions of itself for like hundreds of years. You're just thrown into the conflict. And one side is imagine 80s America and it's capitalism and it's democracy and it's like sweet jackets and poofy hair. <laughs> and on the other side is uh, the empire, which is less of a democracy and more of a monarchy, more of like an imperialist kind of shtick. But imagine like Baroque... Austria, Prussia, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, frilly coats meets spaceship, which when I saw that for the first time, I was just like, awesome, Baroque yeah. punk. Like we needed that. <laughs> Where have you Did been hiding my missing. entire life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Baroque punk, I like it. It's so great. You've got these two sides of humanity that have been battling for hundreds of years and they are both trying to prove that their form of government and rule is right. And the story is told through a very vast canvas, which we'll get to, but principally through two protagonists. And uh, they are both the young rising general stars of each of their respective sides. And the story follows their rise and, and really 
their relationship, but a relationship that's played out over this like vast spectrum of intergalactic warfare and not so much, you know, through talking. Um, but it's, yeah, that's my little summary. That's pretty damn Pretty damn well, now good. I'm going to go watch it all now. That was a great summary. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, just for disclosure of my contribution to this episode, I left it a bit too late to try and binge watch Legends of the Galactic Heroes <laughs> and I oversold my ability to watch a kind of like, it's not really a slow burn, I wouldn't say. You get thrown right into the drama. It's so dense it's not, though. It's, it's dense. dense. It's a lot of information, but I actually think that's one of its strongest points is that you are just thrown into this like, completely like full blown war that has been going on for like, it's not like we saw the start. There was like a spark that set it off. It was like, we're in the middle of this and of anyway. hundreds of years of warfare. Yeah. But it's very distinctive. The two sides. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. I just didn't, I think it was hard for me to binge. I think I didn't come at it from the right angle. Should have watched it when I was sick, uh, but I will watch it next time. Yeah. Um, we'll do our best to, to keep selling you through today, but I'm even excited to hear like what those, first impressions were of those first episodes because I think a lot of the barriers that people have to mm. watching it, and as I said, I think like if I didn't have COVID, I may have been in like the, this camp because you kind of have to push through the beginning a bit because it does take a little while to to not just find its rhythm but for you to settle into the rhythm of the show. I think that's a pretty good statement for both the shows we're talking about today actually. Not Attack on Titan level, like, yeah, you you're know, right like, in, yeah. Bam, like, whoa, okay, what was that? Like, both kind of pilots for these shows, especially, are just like, okay, like, what? Yeah, yeah I guess. Oh, like, yeah. you know, both of them. And so, which is interesting as well, because, you know, I'm considering we're, we're proclaiming them undisputed kings, but then not to say there aren't flaws to, to both of them, right? And yeah, the big thing about Legend of the Galactic Heroes, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's so Gigok, who is one of the you know big famous anime YouTubers in the world, describes this show as the final boss of anime. So it's got a real reputation in the industry or the community, sorry, as like, and also a lot of people roll their eyes when someone comes in and goes, "No, my favorite anime is Legend of the Galactic Heroes," you know, because everyone's like, "Oh, he's an insufferable wanker," yes, which isn't yes, false. But like, I have definitely rolled my eyes many times when you've said it. Uh, but it's, um, it's what it does. It's like the war and peace of you know, like you're, you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, that's yeah. my favorite book. Dostoevsky, <laughs> 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 yeah, what, what, that's actually not inaccurate yeah. because like, and not to be like, well, because a lot of the subtext around people who like the show, myself included, is kind of, is kind of like. It's, well, you I didn't mean, get it. It's literature, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so, it's based off a ten novel series. Uh, maybe you're just not ready for that. And that's a problem with it because, like, you don't want to be that guy. No, uh, but I mean, maybe you're not ready for it. So, um, oh my god! But here's, but here's the thing. Here's I the thing. This. There are so many shows and texts in the world that aspire to that level of broadness. That's true. And I was so ready to like to consign this one to a kind of like oh, almost, you know, like mm. try because it's such a demand. Those kind of vast operatic kind of narratives with so many moving parts, each of them have to be working yeah. because it only takes one for it to for the whole thing that's been stretched thin to kind of crumble. Yes. And I think like as a big picture, what's so impressive about this is that like all of the bits work and you yeah. get to the ending and it like makes some like really bold choices along the way. And you're like left with this a thousand piece more 5,000 piece puzzle. And you're like, Oh, look at all the pieces that just go together perfectly. And it's just such a beautiful thing to behold in its completion. But again, you have to, you have to get there and it doesn't feel at every part of it. Like, Oh, yes. I'm in the presence of greatness. It's kind of as a whole, you have to weigh it. 
I, I also watched it not while I had COVID, but while we were under lockdown last year in Sydney. So I, again, was in a fortunate position. And I remember it was like, because gone am I, you know, I'm getting old. I've gone, gone on my days of like just binging show, like 25 episodes in a day. You know, I don't really have the time to do that as much anymore as I used to, right? But I did with this. And I had the, I mean, again, I had the space to do so. But I would sit, I would like say goodnight to my partner and then just like go downstairs, sit on the couch and watch literally 12 episodes back to back. And just be like, oh my God, <laughs> I can see through time. <laughs> it was like, it was intense. I think, and you said it to me when we are on the phone, because Gerald was of course calling me throughout <laughs> I remember having long com phone conversations because I'd watched it and then Gerald had finally taken my advice and um, watched it. And we were just having these chats of being like, man, it just, it stays with you. It stays with you. And you still think, I still think about it over a year, yeah, about a year now since I watched it all. And it just, the density of the storytelling, the character development, the historicals. Uh, if you're a history nerd, once again, oh, we're back to history. <laughs> history happens to be fun, Charlotte. <laughs> I had, I had to eat my words and that was one of our best episodes we ever did. <laughs> I really Stop did. Doubting, man. I, oh, look. History's fun, people. History Don't is let anyone tell you otherwise. You can give Sam one point. You know, one. the ledger. There you go. Look, I'm now going to make a, another proclamation. As you mentioned, two protagonists. Now, is it deuteragonist or deuteragonist? Is that, what is the... A dual protagonist. Yeah, but there's, yeah. A, there's a word. It's like deuteragonist, I think. Used to me. I'm pretty sure it's deuteragonist. It might be deuteragonist. Don't come for me, TikTok. Oh, um, the, the discourse has left me behind again. <laughs> <laughs> there is a term for having dual protagonists, which isn't dual protagonist. But anyway, yeah. let's just say dual protagonist so I don't keep mispronouncing that word. Dual protagonists. Now, rare. Yep. Rare. Uh, obviously another show that does it really well and I think is probably heavily influenced by this is, of course, Death Note, which has, but of course, not quite to the same degree. But Death Note does run two protagonists for quite a long time. But both of these characters, I mean, you're going to have a favourite. I do. Now, what's interesting about these two characters is they're very, very different. Mm. And what Japan has this wonderful thing, the same with Death Note, is they have this thing about the, the honour, the nemesis conflict. Now, a nemesis conflict is always fascinating to me. I love nemesis conflicts. It's the classic detective story, always a nemesis, you know, chasing the serial killer, but there's a weird respect, not necessarily in, in those particularly, but like in the Japanese context, the respect they, these enemies have for one another. And you see it all in samurai stuff as well with, you know, the, the great honour of fighting. You see it in all shonen, that the, the honour of fighting someone at full power. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing you just distilled down into any kind of respect you have for another person, right? It's, I mean, this is obviously a war and they're two great generals going battle, battling each other in two different ideological philosophies of politics. Yep. And they're going at each other and it's interesting because they're so, so different, but they're both so compelling in their own way. And it also really shines a light on the two different political systems because it's not a simplistic like democracy good, autocracy bad. In fact, if anything, it's probably harsher on democracy than it is on autocracy. Definitely shines a light on both. It yeah. shines a light on both. And now what's interesting about Yang is that Yang is actually a historian. He is a reluctant protagonist, which is interesting because I know you don't like passive protagonists. Protagonists that don't take action, that are yes. too reactionary. Yang, yes. like, despite his motivations being complex, does take action. He so does. He's, so he's not, he's not truly a reluctant protagonist. This is true. This is true. No, even in the pilot, he's not reluctant at well, all. He's throw, well, it gets different. Like he's, it turns out the difference is Reinhardt is like the most driven character you'll ever meet. Like Reinhardt's whole thing is like, this is a system. This is a broken system, which is something that I will fix through sheer force of will. And he dominates. That's his whole shtick. Whereas Yang is like, no, I am part of a system that is bigger than myself. 
The whole system is predicated on it being bigger than the individual. We all are cogs in a much larger machine and it only works if we all work together. And if anyone tries to become a bigger cog in that machine, then it'll break. And that's very interesting because it, there are so many times when Yang is given an opportunity to take charge and to, to do a Reinhardt and he never does. So let's, I think like what you've like touched on in all of that is kind of the three big reasons that really separates this show or like really elevates it. The characters are dynamite. Yes. As you touched on, Reinhardt, who's the Empire, Yang, who is the... Three Planets the, Alliance. Right? The role of history. Yes. And how like that is both an aesthetic experience thing, but also a story driver. Yes. And then just theme yes. and how deeply it explores how humans govern ourselves collectively and as yes. individuals and what is it to be a person. Yes. And um, to go to what you were saying about how they respect each other and this dual protagonist relationship. And by the way, like dual protagonist narratives are all built on the tension of these two characters drifting towards and away from each other. Yes. The motto is like lives in parallel. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. And so in the good ones, yes, there's spaceships blowing up, but what's really like sizzling your bacon is just like, oh shit, they might like, they might actually end up in a room together soon. Mm -hmm. And what makes this show so incredible is that despite all of the, you know, geopolitics and space battles, what you're most amped for is like just these two people having a conversation. So that's happening. Yeah. And it really watching it made me nostalgic for a kind of political discourse that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Respecting your enemies. I'm guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, right. Yeah. And everyone else, you know, but like the world would be a better place if, if we did. It's oh, 100% true. First yeah. episode sends him a note. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> says like that was a good that was a good play. Well played. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Like, you got and yeah. I love that it's like Yang already he has a reputation it's not like he was just like you know a janitor working at something <laughs> had to be like but yeah, I'm no. a genius you know kind yeah. of thing. like he has got a long history of that and I think that that's another thing the history of the fact that Reinhardt knows who he is like that's a and I think that was that's yeah, cool. Let's talk about the characters. Yeah, we got to do that. Let's let's deep dive. So we'll start with your favorite. I'll let you take Yang because I know that I know he's your boy. Yang is quite possibly the greatest character in all of fiction. Again, a character at war with themselves is always interesting. Yang joins the military because he wants the education, because uh, he wants to go and study history. That's why he joins. But then, of course, he sort of keeps getting promoted and promoted because he's just the best. But he kind of hates that. And so what's very interesting about him, and he's also very reflective about the, the deaths that he causes, uh, and that weighs heavily on him. And it's very interesting. So, again, you've got this character, and also it's interesting, interestingly reflected in his protege, in Julian, who sort of starts off as kind of like his assistant, I suppose, brings him tea and whatnot and tells him to sleep. <laughs> you know, tells him he's working too hard, does, does yep, the tells dishes. Him to stop yeah. drinking, and like, you know, because he's a, he's a big old boozer. And I just think that... Everything he does is conflicted, but then he does have a core base which he won't budge upon. Right. And I think that's an inherently interesting character, especially when you look at Reinhardt, who is someone whose whole mantra is... Don't cut my lunch I'm sorry, We're going to get to him. We're going to get to him. I'll stop, right? I'm going to talk about all the female characters. <laughs> okay, you know what? You know what? That's a fair point. <laughs> that is a fair point. If we're going to criticise this show, and we must for balance... Look... Not going to pass any Bechdel tests uh, anytime soon. She sings the opening theme. It's fine. <laughs> His beloved sister. The opening okay. theme is incredible. It's made in the 80s. We should have put that yeah, up top. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like that's, if you're looking for representation, you're not going to find it here, unfortunately. And that is a criticism and it's very fair. Um, there are some interesting female characters, but there's like two. Whereas there's literally 50 amazing male characters. So 
that is a problem, no question. But this is a time capsule, is because of its time. The the novels were written in the seventies and eighties, and the actual show was made in nineteen eighty eight and ran until about two thousand, with many different production companies across it as well. Look, if it was to be remade in the West or something, you would you would put a lot more representation in, obviously, and it wouldn't affect the story in any way, shape, or form. In fact, Here's it would probably thing. strengthen it. It would definitely strengthen Funny it. Funny you should mention that because someone asked me recently, like, if you could adapt anything, what would you adapt? And I, like, immediately went into my spiel about Legends of the Galactic Heroes and then someone quite rightly said, oh, so you want to exploit Japanese culture? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you can check that. But, well, uh, well yeah. interesting because, again, if we're going to go and talk about Koichi Iwabuchi's concept of cultural odorlessness, which is something we've brought up a few times in, in many different things. But basically the concept from Iwabuchi, who's a Japanese social theorist, is that much of Japanese media is culturally odorless in that it doesn't reflect the positive nature of Japanese society. Whereas American, a lot of American cultural products are very much rah, 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 USA, USA, American dream, especially the things which are broadcast overseas, the Hollywood blockbusters, right? Not to say there aren't incredibly critical shows, The Wire and whatnot, which would excoriate uh, American, you know, the, uh, cultural ideas. But Japan in particular, especially like when you look at these things and you go like, again, Pokemon, not super Japanese, uh, which is why it was so uh, massive appeal, right? And it was deliberately culturally odorless. Uh, Dragon Ball Z, even to a degree, these things we didn't even recognize as anime as kids because they weren't like so obviously Japanese culturally. Now you can see them in there, but do you it think is pretty that's to odorous. do with being a fantasy or a sci-fi setting or something yeah. that takes things out? Like I think you could argue that for many things, so even Western, absolutely. Like it, oh, but, no question, it's yeah. everywhere. But it's a particularly big thing in Japanese. I think you know, Attack on Titan, super culturally odorless. It's in fact a European setting. Uh, if anything, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, basically the fact that it is so odorless. And the fact that he, the um, that Tanaka, the author, is heavily influenced by all sorts of history. Now, none of the characters are actually specifically based on a single historical figure, but he is in heavily influenced by European and Asian history uh, to the point, yeah, where he is, you know, but he denied any of the major characters influenced by a specific figure. However, some are more prominent than others. So Admiral Young Wenli, Parallels Yi Sun Sin, who was a famous South Korean general who lived from 1545 to 1598. Now, both Yi and Yang come from humble beginnings, but never lost a battle across their military careers. Also, both were heavily distrusted by their superiors, who feared they could seize power from the established rulers. Yi's most famous victory occurred at the Battle of, okay, here we go, uh, Myeong Yang, I think it's a, I have horribly mispronounced that, and I apologize to anyone who's South Korean. Um, but where despite being outnumbered 333 ships to 13, he managed to disable or destroy 31 Japanese warships without a single loss of his own. So that's, while he's not directly influenced, it's quite clearly a heavy parallel there. And that like goes to the heart of what makes Yang special, right? Like he, as you say, the historian that just wants to study, he doesn't want to engage in warfare and yet to fund his university he ends up in the military and then because of his skills but they call him the magician because mm -hmm. he can pull victory from the jaws of whatever that saying is uh jaws of like yeah like no one else yeah. and um, miracle yang yeah yeah i have very limited um experience with the greatest character ever created for fiction but um <laughs> i really no, i mean he definitely stuck out to me from the two but I um I think that one thing I liked was even just and as you were saying he definitely takes to heart the deaths and that kind of thing and he definitely 
would rather not be in the military, which is interesting. Yes. And in, even in the second episode, I think there's a memorial service held for the people that died and he doesn't want to go, even though they're like, they want him as like a puppet to be there because he's always known as like the hero of this war or the hero of yeah. this battle. And he's just like, no, like yeah. they don't like, it's about him. the he's people. Very, yeah. He's very cognizant of the ideals of democracy and, and the role that a military should play for its citizens, but then also the way in which politicians leverage the populism of the military to, you know, pursue their own ends, which is also a hallmark of democracy. So he's, exactly. And this is the contradiction you were talking about. Like he, he, he wants the ideal but has to battle against the... And so Reinhardt, <laughs> yes. the other guy, other guy. who I won't say is my favourite, but I, I like them both kind of the same. I'm yeah. less cold on Reinhardt than you are. I like Reinhardt, but it's just Yang for me is just so superior. You know, Sam can't like two people the same about though. Like it's a, it, you know, yeah, you got to have your favourite. That's, that's just how you roll. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. But I think in a show with dual protagonists, that's, yeah. Well, one's better than the other. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so if, if Yang is the magician, Reinhardt is the warrior. Yes. And so, but with Yang, his rhetoric is, hey, democracy, that's good, right? And so as a viewer in the West, I think you're predisposed to say, okay. And so there is something interesting going in in the way that they humanise the a kind of monarchical empire kind of system that I think we're predisposed to be like, well, this is wrong and, yeah. and ain't, you know, um, too old-fashioned and all the things. And so Reinhardt starts off at the bottom of that, environment his family are fallen nobles um and so he has to start from a version of the bottom not quite the bottom bottom it's but, elevated but yeah and so his wound is that his sister is taken to be the king's consort because she's so beautiful and doesn't get a choice and we did mention again the 80s um, things There's and uh, yep. uh but he takes it upon himself it's like well if i've been like rendered powerlessness so powerless that my favorite sister could be taken from me my only recourse then is to become the master of the universe and so if you imagine like the many millions of personalities that exist out there, he's the one in a million that actually has the skills and the nous to do it. Yes. But he can't do it by himself. He's got a kind of um, important uh, ally that... Um, Kirky Ice. Yes. yes who, um, who, uh, who helps them... Uh, Helps him do it. And he and his story is about rising through a system that he recognises is corrupt and needs changing, but at the same time he's not prepared to take it all the way to democracy and he still wants to hold that kind of Kaiser position um, and is an interesting character in that way. Yes. Look, Reinhardt is a fascinating character and I must say the thing that shocked me the most about this show in general, as in where I found myself, obviously Yang is my favourite character, but I also sort of found myself siding with Reinhardt on the political side of the things where I was like, it's an old saying that the, the greatest form of, of any kind of governing body is a benevolent autocracy, you know, and that's what Reinhardt goes for. The problem, obviously the historical problem with that is that once that benevolent, always incredible human being dies, it's filled by an heir who's often a dud, you know, and uh, this is the thing. And like, also you get North Korea when this happens because in the worst possible sense, right? But like, what they showed here was like how much one man can get done and when everyone gets on the same page and when what the vision is is not pure but I guess utilitarian and merit, merit and a bit of a meritocracy at least it's something that is to be aspired to. And problem is, of course, it all hinges on one person. 
and that's the inherent flaw with it all, right? Uh, but I found myself a lot of the times being like, yeah, you know what? Democracy is fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> well, they do put the boots into democracy. They and, really put the boots in, and it's great. You know, yeah. because as much as like Yang's greatest enemy is Reinhardt, it's actually the system that he's trying to subscribe to. Absolutely. So as you were saying with Reinhardt, if he's this one in a million candidate that takes a hold of a broken system and molds it in his image and kind of makes everything better, even if he does end up on the top, I think what this show does really well is shines a light in the way democracy can be pulled in that same way, but by less worthy people. And one of Yang's great antagonists in the show is this politician who's just the exact opposite of him. He's so a, true in it. Yes. And he's just out for himself in the shameless way that we kind of suspect all politicians are and is willing to mortgage the whole world essentially to, to put himself first. And Yang gets put in a position where his recourse is to take power for himself. But of course he can't. That's not who he is. And there's a really interesting series of plot lines that the show goes into making your skin crawl about how democracy can be taken and is really yeah. cool. Yeah, one of my favourite parts of the whole show, because even though Yang's my favourite, I, I actually am sort of like, well, you know, Reinhardt's got a better system. Like This this system stinks. Like, and, yeah, it really does shine a light on the – it's not clear-cut. It's not as just like Reinhardt good, uh, Yang good, Reinhardt bad. It's actually very complicated and really – it brings you back and forth and it really makes you sit there and question the system of democracy, which we all take as being pretty much axiomatic. You know what I mean? Capitalism and democracy are just things that there's no other option in the West. None. And it's like, well, obviously I'm not trying to say, let's go back to dictators. How good's that? Obviously not, but there's gotta be some way of sophisticating our system. And it just feels like no one has the time. Uh, I'm not going to get into a socialist talk uh, again. Don't worry. Einstein's not getting quoted. Neither is Marx. But, um, <laughs> Einstein's socialist quote. I was like, what? You gotta think outside the box, man. All I'm gonna say is, I just love this show so fucking much. And it is really, really something that like, I don't wanna say changed me because that's a bit wanky, but it changed me. No, honestly, fuck that. I love this show so much. It really is something that is like, one of the things that I will, I will always have in my top five favorite things, not just animes, things of all time. I really believe it to be that special. And I think you you feel the same, right? Yeah, similar, similar. It's, um. It was one of those shows that I watched and I was so unhappy that more people didn't know about it because it deserves to be known. Yes. That's as far as I'll like push the wank level. But I felt like incensed. I was just like, this is a crime, an incredible piece of filmmaking that no one knows about. Yeah. Um, a crime no one knows more about it. And it's hard to get into because of a couple yes, of things. That's Despite true. my me wanting to be like, it doesn't matter how old an animation is or how like yep. clanky or I think yep. a lot of it is hard to find. Only streaming services on is high dive. Yep. Number two is that it is an 80s anime yep. and it is, yeah, it I, mean, I, I mean, aesthetically it's cool. Like yes. I have to say aesthetics wise, I think it's like really, I think it's come back in fashion. I think people be into it now. Yeah. Um, but the but space fights. <laughs> space fights, that's fine by me. It, to me it's like the the standing there mouth flap that there's like, yeah, it's, um, but it is very, yeah, it, it's an 80s animation so it's got to be clunkier we're used to very smooth animation and we're not yeah, getting that not getting but i still think it's really cool i actually aesthetically was pretty into it yeah um i do think i'm just asking you guys a question now do you think this is the best example of a space opera that we have like in yeah. out of everything and do you think things are influenced by it or do you think it's one of those things that kind of bypassed it do you think that like the creator of the expanse knows about this show it's a good question it's a good question i funnily enough like when i was 
doing this after I finished watching it, I went down this rabbit hole of just like, holy shit, how did I never hear about this? And in the West, there's not much chatter about it. There's a few articles that, you know, the best anime you've never seen, but it's not linked to things the way Cowboy Bebop is linked mm. to everything as an influence on Western filmmaking. Mm. Um, but to answer your question about like, is it the best space opera ever? Um, I'm like inclined to think it is. And part of the reason is the way that it deals with history. Yes. And like leverages this idea of history as a narrative device. And you would have seen this even in the first few episodes where there is a narrator. And normally <laughs> I hate narrators. Yeah, I'm like, don't, lazy technique, don't yeah. tell me what's going on. There's so much going on that little name, like little text flashes on the screen to tell you who the characters are. Because there's that many. <laughs> the cast is so big you needed like a little reminder to tell you that that's John from the third, from the et cetera. <laughs> but in leveraging all of these devices, it kind of feels like you are watching a history textbook, yes. mm. which actually just goes to reinforce and uh, amplify all of the realism that he's put into it in terms of these like political systems. And like we spoke at the start about how we come in and humanity's fighting. It's just like, Hey, you know how we're trash. We're still trash, you know? And it just like, uh, it all kind of plays. So there's this really interesting aesthetic experience to the show that I haven't had anywhere else. And it just is so effective. It says it's going to sh- tell you the history of the human race through fiction. And it does. Yeah. Mm. And what's interesting, there, there is a remake I mentioned. It's currently in season three, airing right now, actually, season three is. And it's made by a production IG who did Q and um, Psycho Pass. And it, basically it is what everyone wanted in respect to the fact that it's, it's Legend of the Galactic Heroes with modern animation and it looks really cool. And it is, I've watched a bit of it, um, but the difference is it has, it's, it's next, it nixed the narrator. So the narrator is gone from this. So as a result, it's not actually a remake. It's like a reimagining. Uh, it's a retelling of the story. And I think where it actually falls down is exactly that because it does, it shies away from that storytelling technique of being kind of like a snap, almost like a documentary series in a way, which is how they've sort of framed it with the narration and the way that it's very historically uh, balanced and placed in the storytelling techniques. And they've gone away with that with Die, Die New Thies, I think it is called. It's a German, again, I've killed that, doc, uh, that, um, that pronunciation. But yeah, that's the new one. And look, I mean, you check it out if you want. Like, again, I haven't watched enough of it to say if I like it or not. Obviously, it's Legend of the Galactic Heroes, so it's good. It's a good story. But I think if you really want the full experience, you need to go and watch the original, I think. And I, yeah. I mean, I can't speak to how good, and it's still a new in its third season. But they've skipped a lot of things. They've condensed it a lot, which I guess, you know, is a, is a solid move if you're going to update the show. I get it. But like, there's something very nostalgic, romantic, even about this old style of storytelling which I think is very special. And you're right, uh, we don't see it very often. Well, I will say about that, having watched a lot of anime and having watched a lot of anime from different um, decades, I think at a certain point anime became self-aware about itself in the way that all um, art forms do. But this, the original series, isn't an anime trying to be an anime. Mm. It's just an anime trying to adapt these novels as well as it can. It's not like selling an idea of itself. And I found that super refreshing because even all of the amazing things that come out now, they're still playing to that rule book of what an anime is. Yes. Um, And so whilst it is dated, it still feels fresh in that way because it's kind of like anime before it had an idea of itself. 100%. And look, history again, I'll just quickly go on Reinhardt. So again, 
None of these characters are direct correlations to any historical figure, but Reinhardt parallels many, uh, but probably most accurately, Frederick the Great, the famous Prussian general who lived from 1712 to 1786 and was a king of Prussia from 1772 till 1786 for his death. Uh, Frederick sought reform off the back of his many military victories. He also sought an enlightened monarchy and purged the court of much corruption and promoted people to positions on their merit and aimed to implement a sort of meritocracy across the whole society. So here's another good one. Also, as we mentioned before, Kirky Ice, who is his sort of best friend. His 2IC. His 2IC. An emotional support system. Exactly. And the relationship between Reinhardt and Kirky Ice paralleled the relationship between Alexander the Great and Hephaestion, who was his close friend and second in command. And there's also kind of a, you know, were they? Is a historical question. But also what's interesting about Reinhardt too, which I find interesting as a character, is that he isn't driven by trying to find a romantic partner. Now, a character ends up coming into that space, but like it's a very utilitarian kind of like relationship that they have. And he's not driven by that, which is also a fascinating exploration of his character. He is just like, no, I have one goal and everything else is superfluous, which makes him very, very intriguing. Whereas Yang is much more, he actually has a wonderful relationship with, with his partner. And it's, you know, in many ways you could be like, Yang is way happier. But like, I don't know, I suppose Reinhardt's, just has different ideas. He looks at his romantic partner through the prism of the problem that you raised before is that he, once he achieves his goal, he realizes that the, the, the fragile part of the system is that he has to pass it on to his heir. And so he has to have one. And so what does that look like and who with and who best suits that? And again, it takes a very like, yeah, utilitarian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, so the last thing I'll say about this before uh, we roll to on one? to the other undisputed kings <laughs> that I'm looking forward to talking to is um, <laughs> that I'm a big believer in like judging a show by two currencies. That's cool moments yep. and oh fuck moments. Yep. And everything else aside, all the other like wanky things aside, as a bit of entertainment, um, in the way that, you know, we might enjoy Game of Thrones or whatever. This show had some, like, proper, oh, fuck, dramatic moments. Like, Massive. it's not all, like, a history textbook. <laughs> no, there no. are some, like, moments that absolutely floored me more than most things do. So if, oh, yeah. if you haven't been taken on the, like, the political discourse between systems, that's fine. That's fair. Put it aside. That's fair. Some, like, hectic shit is going to happen. It's oh, going to yeah. be great. Hectic stuff. It look, I hope that sold it to you, but like, yeah, just a hidden gem and something that I really strongly suggest if you've got some time, because naturally it's sort of, and again, I don't think it's one of those shows you can sort of knock an episode off every now and then. It's too, it's too much going on. It's too dense. Mm. Uh, but if you find yourself with a bit of time, hey, maybe there's another lockdown. <laughs> Who knows with this COVID today? Everyone's got COVID again. Uh, but if you do find some time and you really just want to have a crack, again, yes, not an easy start, not, not an easy watch. But I promise you, you'll be rewarded by this. And I can't recommend it highly enough. Legend of Galactic Heroes, one of the two undisputed, unrecognized kings. Now, let's move on to something entirely different. Let's change gears. The natural progression of things. Um, <laughs> Charlie, take it away. The spiritual successor of <laughs> Legends of the Galactic Hero. Uh, now, we're going to talk about Fruits Basket. And I have talked about this show at length before on this podcast many times because I'll use any excuse to bring it up. Now, this one I think is a harder sell to the everyday non-anime, non-shoujo fan. That's fair. 
then Legends of the Galactic Hero, where you're like, this is outstanding history. And like, I'm kind of like, this is a show about a girl who finds herself living in a family that when she hugs someone of the opposite sex, they turn into an animal. And everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's literally Excuse the storyline. And I'm like, better watch it. So I was so happy when Gerald watched it. I was like, thank you so much because now I can talk about it with someone. And at the same time, another friend of mine was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll give Fruits Basket a spin. And she got obsessed as well. And so I was getting, similar to you when Gerald was calling you, I was getting Facebook messages <laughs> from Gerald just being like, hmm. And I love the seeing you go from being like, what the fuck has Charlie made me watch to be like, oh, I get it, to then like, oh, no, I really get it. And it's one of those shows where, I mean, we just gave the synopsis then, but it stars, it's about, it's based on a 1998, I believe, manga series, shoujo, meaning that it's, um, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's – I think it's actually probably a bit more mature than, like, a younger teenage girls. Like, it actually has a lot of really hectic – like, a lot of trigger warnings in this show. It's uh, all about trauma and a lot of these characters have a really bad time, like a really bad time, and which is upsetting because you love them all by the end, but that's a thing. Uh, it's about Toru Honda who is a high school girl whose mother has just recently passed away. She's recently orphaned. She's been taken in by her grandfather whose house has just been – renovated so she's told him that she's moving in with a friend but actually she's like no I'm gonna go camp in the woods because I feel I don't she's one of those characters that really doesn't ever want to put people out so she goes I'm just gonna go camp in the woods anyway she doesn't realize she's camping on a property that's owned by the Soma family which is this huge clan I want to say like big kind of probably more accurate yeah but um some questions about that yeah and basically it's on their property and two of the one of the boys from her class Prince Yuki own, lives on the house in that property and they find her camping there and they're like, okay, there's a landslide and her tent and all her belongings get destroyed so she has to move in with them. And so starts a series of events where she finds out about the Soma family curse, which is 12 members of the Zodiac. It's 12, right? 13 actually. Yes. 13, yeah. So there's a 13 members of this Zodiac. But the 12, uh, the Chinese Zodiac, is a, it's a curse on the Soma family that 12 of them or 13 of them when hugged by the opposite members of the sex will turn into their cursed animals. So Prince Yuki, for example, is the rat. And there's a lot of, like to do with the um, actual kind of, you know, background of what those zodiac animals mean in the legend of that kind of uh, Chinese history and culture. So oh, the rat is the favoured yes. zodiac sign. And it kind of goes down the food chain and there's a lot. But there's it's something you think that's the curse. You're like, that's kind of cute curse. No, 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 there's more to that curse. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting family dynamics that Toru Honda finds herself having to navigate as an outsider. And as I said, such a hard sell. You're probably sitting there being like, I would never watch that in a thousand years. I'm like, it's a high school romance story. Comedy, which people love. It is, it is. And including it, me. And apparently. it is funny. Like, it's one of those shows you're like, whoa. Um, but wow, it really gets you. I feel like you get a bit tricked by it because you start watching it and you're like, this is so cute, there's some cute, but they're all like, oh, the Soma's like the hottest guys ever. You know, you're like, wow, like I wish, wish I was dating all of those guys, like cool. And you're like, wow, I wish I was Toru Honda. Not really because she's had an awful life and she's just trying her best. Um, she don't it. Yeah, yep. Uh, but I think that what's interesting about it is I think you were saying that it has this like, even when you're at the start of it and you're not quite kind of cluey into what's really going on, it has this sense of like foreboding, like like yeah. you're sort of like, oh, something a bit off about the show. And then by the time you're in the third season, you're like, this is true. Like it's trauma in a show. Like it's all about different kinds of trauma. It's all about coping mechanisms of trauma. trauma. And also the ways in which these characters handle their trauma. And Toru Honda is such a good example because at first you're like, what a boring character. She's just like, I'm great and I'm fine. Everything's good. And then by the end you're like, 
oh man, this is she's kind of fucked up. Like that her like relentless optimism is like really toxic. She can't let go. Like that's it, just your self defense mechanisms that stopped you crumbling into dust. Yeah, and then when she kind of the cracks do show, you're so like invested in this character, and it's not until like the third season where that really kind of gears, goes in, and you're like, oh my god, this poor traumatized child. Um, yeah, so I think Fruits Basket is actually a very subversive show because it has all the shoujo tropes. It is a shoujo. It is set there as cute boys, um, you know, like a damsel in distress vibe. She's got her cool, you know, like hardcore friends and like there's all these different tropes. Protector. Protector and, yeah. and like and but really it's not about that at all. And it sort of uses those stereotypes to subvert your expectations and kind of show maybe why they're stereotypes in the first place and what people could be hiding under these sort of things. It's not a perfect series. It's a 1998 manga written and there's a lot of problematic things in it. There's a lot of age gaps, a lot of like, you know, stuff like that that I'm sure there's a lot of gender role stuff that I probably wouldn't be like, go team now. But I do think um, there are some amazing female characters in this show, really, really good ones, and male characters. And I think that it's got one of the best written villains. Like the antagonist is something that is like they're a bad, it's a bad person. You know, I, but, I like hated them. Yeah. Like I was like viscerally. Yep. You know, before things turn, one of the many turns. But you're like, oh, this person sucks because you're so invested in the characters and you're like, oh, this person, this like, it's a great antagonist. Yeah. And you're like, why does this person suck? They're like, why? And then you kind of understand more about the whole thing and you got to understand the curse and like all the kind of, and yeah, it's because uh, it is a really, at the end of the day, it is kind of a fantasy show, but that sort of takes back, say, like the only fantastical element is the curse. Mm. Like that, that's it really. Which only really, I mean, I've watched just for, for pure disclosure, I've watched, one and a half seasons. So I'm about halfway through the whole thing. Uh, there are three seasons and I'm halfway through the second. And it's funny because it does, it, it, there is something unsettling about it. Uh, I think is, is probably the best word because it almost, there's this cosmic horror vibe that runs underneath the whole thing, but it does sit in that very, I don't want to say flippant, but like kind of high school hijinks and, and sort yeah. of, you know, uh, surface level romance like stuff um, for a, quite a long time. In fact, a very long time. So I think it's just really interesting in respect to the fact that it does fill a space which is feels both like well-worn, well-trodden ground because, look, I'm not a shoujo fan. Obviously, it's not my demographic, but I have seen, you know, parts of lots of them and it's pretty like often it's a very like generic high school rom-com except when it's not. <laughs> when it's not, you know, because of this cosmic horror vibe and this weird kind of at first you sort of like, what what is this? Like, what is what's even the point of this? Why aren't they telling me what's going on? It's this kind of like weird, like, oh, by the way, there's this curse thing, but don't worry about that. It's kind of yeah, forget about it. The cute boys are over here. Why are all the scenes about high school, but I'm feeling so much dread about yeah. what's waiting at home? You know? Yeah. And it kind of and it 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 does take a bit of time. It's quite a few, it's 25 episodes per season. So 75 episodes. I think the third season is only 12. Only 12? Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So it's not quite 62. But like it's, it's you know, it's got, for my Larkamist is only 62, 63. So it's the same same length. So it does take a bit of time to unfurl itself. And I haven't got to the the proper meat, I suppose, of the story because I'm, I'm about half, just over halfway through the whole thing. But I guess one of the drawbacks, I would say, well, one of the barriers is that it is a slow start. The whole first season is pretty slow. I mean, that's, you know, honestly, for me, again, again, I'm not the demographic for sure, but it is slow start. But once you start peeling away the layers of the onion, 
you can see something which again is a, is a, a very unique experience. So bear in mind, so 2001 there was a Fruits Basket adaptation and it just did the first, basically covered the first season. Uh, and it was very different. They went broad comedy with it. There was like no right. kind of foreboding because they didn't cover the whole manga. Manga hadn't finished by then. I read the manga because I loved Fruits Basket and I was like, this is very different. I was like, holy dooly, like, I got some real shit going on here. <laughs> um, and in season one of Fruits Basket, the first original, you would get none of that. Really? So that just worked as like a base level. But I, I loved it because I had a soft spot for it. But I think you do need that, you do need the length. It sounds like it's a long time to get like this kind of story, but because you've got so many characters and you need to care about all of them mm. for it to work. Sure. And you get that time with these characters with yeah, this kind of, and it's also a brilliant this 2019 one is a brilliant adaptation. It's beautifully animated. Yeah, it looks great. Like great soundtrack and they put in a lot of care into it. So I think that they gave it like, the, as we call it, Fruits Basket Brotherhood. It's like they <laughs> went back and they did it properly yeah. and they did a great job. I found myself thinking about this show a long time after I'd finished watching it. And, again, I watched it uh, because I take your recommendation very highly um, and also that it did keep, like, popping up as, like, top on like some like anime lists and what you said Sam about that undercurrent of dread and that unsettling nature of it creates like a like a really like unique tonal experience and mm. that tonal balance is really hard to pull off and they yeah. they totally do because I think ultimately like what you buy is that in the same way that we all live in multiple spaces in lives like we can go to school or work and be happy and be consumed by the conflicts that exist there to try and escape, you know, other things, but then to be pulled back into that later. Somehow it all feels holistic. Um, and this may be like a bit of a stretch, but I almost think it's like Lynchian, you know, like I think of Blue Velvet when I was watching this because that starts with just a guy, almost Hardy Boys-esque small town America and he finds an ear and it's just like, gee whiz, <laughs> guess I'm off to solve a murder, solve a murder and things just get dark. Yeah. And this is very similar. Um, and to go to the, the cosmic horror influence that you spoke of, Sam, sure, you know, like if cosmic horror is stories that render the sum of all human action and emotion obsolete, so much of this is characters who... Uh, not free in the way the shoujo genre makes you celebrate youth as freedom, but are um, trapped by history and bloodlines. And that also reminds me of that um, Shadows Over Innismouth Lovecraft, which is very based on racism and is no good. But, you know, this is like, yeah, people are born. There's something in the bloodline, something inescapable, something that even if they go to school, they have to fear. Um, and, and Turu as this kind of antidote to other people's pain while she's harboring her own is also a really interesting narrative dynamic. So, yeah, much more than what it seemed, and I'm haunted by it. <laughs> I will be thinking about this one for years, you know. It's um, also one of those shows that, like, I'm like, you will cry. People are like, I'm not going to cry at this show. And everyone's like, well, I cried at one point for sure. I was like, I cried the whole time. The whole third season I was like, oh, God. Like, I think – um. One of my favourite things about it is a huge cast of characters and they mm. really go into all of them. Like you really know all these characters. No one – there's a couple – actually, there's two characters that get kind of like like no one really cares about them vibes. But uh, Yeah, the monkey, um, the monkey's just like, get out of here. Yeah, that, the monkey really never comes back. Yeah, like One that. episode. Like, it's super annoying. Yeah, but <laughs> every other character, most of them in the Zodiac, I think they've got their own things. Even like their teacher has a storyline, you know, kind of thing. And like I, I love that. Um, I love the – 
kind of subversion of like, you know, you've got a love triangle, right? But do you? You know, like the thing where you're kind of like, we've got a love triangle, but it's not what you think it is. Like it's kind of on a base level, yes, but how does one of them love her? Like what does that mean for them? Like and is it kind of, yeah, it's I without spoiling anything, I think Yuki's an interesting character because he's got, you know, he's the prince of the school is very good looking is very perfect and put together but actually is like an absolute mess like when she moves in with him he just can't clean everything's fucked he's completely like all over the shop but then feels this pressure to be perfect and kind of and it is a I think it's interesting and Shigure who is one of my favorite characters is just the minute you meet him you go okay this is the most off-putting person ever but like he's got this like bravado like jokey energy but you're like you're up to something sus and yeah, he's the head of the household uh, yeah. So there's the two. Oh yeah, sorry. I should there's give the two some. young guys who are like kind of, I guess, act like he's he's like their guardian, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. they're his wards. Yeah, of. yeah. So uh, and he's the older figure of the house, and he's a, an author, and the dog. And most of the f- members of the Soma family, including people who aren't a part of the Zodiac curse, and also it should be noted that only the people within the Zodiac curse and the head of the family know about the curse. But the Somas are like. I guess a huge clan kind of thing, like yeah, uh, not all blood related. No, and they all, but they all live in like Thankfully. a big, almost like suburb together. Like it's like this whole it's like a compound, compound, yeah. yeah. yeah and they're really wealthy. But the but Yuki and Kyo and Shigure are the only ones to live off, out of the compound. Yeah. So they live on like a property off elsewhere. Campus, yeah, yeah. And, and that was kind of a taboo or a transgression to to even want to pull away from the family by just moving out of the compound. Yeah. Which gives you a hint about some of the conflicts that lie in the the heart of the show. Yeah, it's just because I I feel like obviously something like Legends of Galactic Hero, you I I could see why that would be good. I'd be like, this is going to be great, but I'm like, if you, I just feel like Fruits Basket is one of those ones that really surprises me and surprises people that kind of mm. commit to it. But I understand that like high school, it is at the end of the day you have to go through a festival arc. You have to go through a play, but the play is the best bit, so don't worry about it. The Cinderella play, are you, that's in season three, and that it's is well, it's iconic. But this is an, an example of something which is not culturally odorless. In fact, it's very Japanese in respect. Like the high school thing is a very Japanese, con- strictly Japanese con- context. You couldn't just put that in America. It wouldn't work. You know what I mean? And it, I mean, it's a Chinese zodiac, so it's, but it's you know, uh, transnational, you know, Asian uh, cultures sort of intertwining, which is quite interesting. But yeah, definitely not culturally odorless. As Charlie said, like you have to understand the genre a little bit to... Yeah have it subverted, you yeah. know? And yes. like I like I haven't watched a whole bunch of shoujo, but High School Rumble is one of the funniest shows of all time. And mm. even that is a context for how this subverts that kind of model is. Yeah. Yes. And Kaguya, so you would know this stuff uh, from Kaguya. Kaguya, Kaguya Summer, yeah. exactly right, which oh, so very, good. very good, <laughs> but very I different. That. I love it. Couldn't be more different. Yeah, I but, think because I think that you started watching this because you had finished Horror Mia, right? Yes. And then I was like, you should watch Fruits Basket. It was like a different again though. Like that's very slice of life. Like Fruits Basket people are like, it's slice of life. You're like, if my life was cooked, like, and I, <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. Like it's, but it is and it isn't. It has like those aspects of it. But. Again, I can't stress enough how I'll just watch everything. It's like a high school <laughs> romance. I'll take it. Space yeah. opera. I'll take it. A show about a person rising up through a soccer club. It's like, I will take it. Of I just course. want it all. But yeah, there's been a, um, I did go on a heater of like high school rom-coms and this one was the like the cherry on top that was the perfect finisher because it just totally subverted all of those so those you tropes. Could, yeah it's one of my favorites for a reason but i also can't look over the fact that i have nostalgic 
roots to it. Like, so I, I read it in high school. I loved it so much. And seeing it adapted, I was like, yes, finally. But I was very justified in the fact that it is, as you said, it pops up. Like, I think for a minute there, for a hot second, it was number one on Mal. It was until and the Formula X Brotherhood stands came and, came and took it, it down. Do. But it's still like in the top 10. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's one of those ones that people, I think, even non Shoujo fans had to admit it was good. Yeah. Like, you- <laughs> like you touched on it about like different types of love and that's obviously a difficult thing to engage with but I think the show does a really great job, just not in terms of the love triangle but also the forced fraternity that exists between these people that are cursed, you know, and what, you know, the the original curse, and this isn't really a spoiler, is that they had such fun at the gathering with in the, the myth that they were kind of cursed to repeat it, that it's based on love, but over this time how everything is unspooled. So something that's supposed to be love is actually turned quite toxic and that as an exploration is awesome. The ways in which people love each other despite that baggage is, like, beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it is quite moving in that way. And it's a frustrating watch at start when you don't quite understand that level of the curse because you're like, why are these people just leaving this, like, Toxic, like just being like, yeah. I'm out, this is cooked kind of vibe. And you're like, no, 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 there's more to that. And there's, and I think it like, I think that people would find that hard to leave a toxic situation regardless of having a curse. So I think having that as like a plot narrative, like as a thing that's there, yeah. like a plot point is, is helpful to kind of make that. Oh yeah. Family. That. Yeah. Like, Can't choose yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. God, you're telling me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Charlie won the podcast. Oh, cheap shot. Um, no, that was a dunk, Sam. Yeah. That wasn't a... <laughs> Yeah, but I could tell that Sam wasn't going to love Fruits Basket. Like, I knew that. I don't, I don't, like, dislike it or anything. Like, I, I like it. I like it. It just hasn't got me, like, in the way that it has you two. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm getting there. Like, I was even watching it some last night, imp- like, to smash as much as I could before we did this show. And, uh, like, yeah, I do... I really feel like it occupies a unique space. And for that, I think it's it's really interesting. And it is unique. It is always, it is something that I'm like, again, I'm not the target demographic. I'm just not. But it holds my interest enough. And there's something where I was like, ah, you know, sometimes I, after, about halfway through season one, I was like, ah, fuck this. I'm not, I'll just skive off on this, you know, like I'll let the other two talk about it, you know. But I, I kept being like, oh, no, but it's interesting enough, you know, and it kept bringing me back in. And now even last night, like I went, no spoilers, but something did happen and I was like, okay. A little pebble in the I pond right there. Up. I will finish it. You know what I mean? I absolutely will. And then I might, I might change my tune. And again, I'm not trying to say that it's not good. It is really good. But again, what I think is most interesting about it is its uniqueness. And it, and it just fills a very uh, unique space. In, a, in and amongst so many genres which all fit together in one and it's many different things all at once. But then it is itself, which is quite interesting. And it's a character study at the end of the day. Exactly. Like, yeah. so yeah. The, are, you know, we, you like, love that. Yeah. And I think that you, like, I think we were just like, like who's your favourite character? Like, it's a big, big old, like, amazing cast of characters to choose from, mm. that kind of thing. They all stick with you. Um, and even ones that you find really annoying at the start end up being best boy by the end. So well, I did message you that time. I was like, I'm the rabbit in my birth year and I was like, who am I? And I was like, cool. Oh, the annoying little shit. And I was like, boo, <laughs> boo. Um, <laughs> Why um, am I not the cat? Um, Cause uh, the cat doesn't exist. Yeah, but he's shit. Cause he's uh, the best character okay. in the show. But anyway, but then I'm just like, ugh, ugh, look at this idiot. You know, and every time it's on the screen, I'm like, ah, oh, shut up. Why don't you? 
Anyway, then all of a sudden his backstory happened and I was just weeping. Like, I was like, <laughs> the show was just oh, like, shh, 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 shh. Dude, just wait, just wait, Paul. Like, yeah. so sad. Are you oh, like, what did I got to do? positive for a reason. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. See, my yeah. mine is actually the worst character in the show. So, um, the I'm the goat. So oh, you're the goat. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, God damn, the goat. Yeah, the goat. He yeah, is annoying, and he's. As annoying as I am, so I'm like, I, like the, just really sarcastic the whole time, and I'm like, well, great. Well, there you Love go. Love that. Thank Who are you. you I think the dragon. The dragon. Oh, he's oh, called the doctor. Oh, come on. You are him in real life. The doctor. Well, there you go. That's, that's <laughs> the biggest compliment I've ever given anyone. That's a Tori. Tori's a great character. He's one of my favorites, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, he's good. Somehow, has the ability to wipe minds. I don't know why. But because we are in a magical place where yeah, there's people cursed by Zodiac that. animals and turned yeah. into. I was reading a few things being like, oh, they never explained that. I'm like, they never explained why they're fucking animals either. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. Like, but I love much. that it's just like, what if I gave you the fantasy of a high school romance? You're like, I'm listening. But on top of that, we're going to like stack the fantasy of like some magical animals. You're like, I'm with you. But then like. Fantasy plus fantasy equals the realest thing you've ever seen <laughs> by the end. You're just weeping, you know. I'm like, oh, you unzipped me. Yeah. I don't know when yeah. that happened, but you did. Um, yeah, but, you know, I think it's a really fascinating show and I think it's something that everyone, you know, if, if you are into shoujo or, or if you've ever watched anything like that and are interested in it, I think it's something which could be really interesting. And Even if you aren't, like myself. Or even just if you're into subversions, you 100%. know, like anything that takes something that you kind of recognize and like turns it on its head and does something tonally interesting. Like, yeah, I like, I think people that aren't super into shoujo will like it even more because mm. it does twist. Because the things you go to shoujo, because I don't mind shoujo, like I'm fine with that. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest like, yeah, like, but I have watched heaps of them. Um, i usually go to it for like escapism feeling nice and being like, oh, that was nice when the most popular boy fell in love with the least popular girl and the festival happened and yada, yada. Uh, this is the, not that. You're not going to get that level of comfort watch from it. So I know what you're saying. Shoujo fans might be like, well, that was awful. Like I just <laughs> sobbed hysterically. Well, Gerald, thank you so much for coming on for Thanks the fifth me. time. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure to have you in. Thank you for taking our recommendations. It means a lot to us. Oh, keep them coming. <laughs> See, sometimes we don't have bad takes, uh, but sometimes we do. But, you know, I'm really glad you got to watch them and experience them and, of course, share your very, very uh, interesting and eloquent thoughts oh. on those pieces. As always, my friend. Thank you for having me. Look, Gerald, thank you so much. Everyone, we really appreciate your time. We hope you learned something today. We hope you go and watch these two shows because we love them so much. And, of course, we'd like to thank our wonderful patrons. And they are, of course, Grant, Curtis, Dom, Rose, Christian, Caroline, Samantha, and Alex. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. You can join our Patreon if you want. Patreon.com forward slash gateway to anime. You can, of course, find us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And, hey, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.